Do you struggle with learning the rules of golf? Whether you've been playing for years or are brand new to the game, this is the podcast for you. Welcome back to Golf Rules School podcast with Blakey and Marcella or Marcella and Blakey. I think that's what it should be. We're going to change the name. How's it going, Blakey? Uh, well, it was good until you said that. It's always alphabetically, it's Blakey and Marcella, right? People are going to want to know why you don't use your whole name. Are you running from the law? Uh, no, I'm just like Madonna or Sting. Basically, it's a lot easier to say Blakey. I like that because, like I said, I didn't grow up playing golf. So, and I honestly, if you've seen my swing, I can actually barely hit the ball. I, I play golf. For the social aspects of it, I have met so many amazing women and men over the years that I've been playing, and it is a lifestyle. It's just enchanting. That's why I play. And when I teach these ladies under my girlfriend's golf experiences, I teach these clinics on the rules. The first thing women say, they're like, oh, yeah, I play, but I'm not very good. Well, we don't have to say that because you don't have to be quote unquote good. You don't have to have a certain handicap to be out there and be entitled to enjoy a round of golf, right? Yeah. The cool thing about golf is golf, even though it's played by millions, it's actually a pretty small community. And, you know, as soon as you mention to someone that you play golf and they do too, you can have such a conversation uh, and it's really good at meeting people. And um, it's a really good social thing. Uh, there are the competitive aspects and that's why we're teaching you the rules of golf, but it's a real social game. How many other games during the play of the game can you just have a chat? I mean, you're not going to be able to do that too much in football or cricket or anything, any other sport, tennis. You're not going to do it too much. Whereas golf, you can you can even probably crack open a, a beverage. Right. Yeah, well, a lot of people do. And that can get a little carried away, though, too. But <laughs> But yes. I was just talking about a soda. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Yep. A soda. And the golf rules question of the episode, can you lay your clubs down in the bunker so that they are touching the sand? Can you lay the clubs down in the bunker so that they are touching the sand? Example, you're taking a couple of clubs into the bunker. You choose the one that you want to hit and then you lay the other one down in the sand. Is that permitted? Let's jump into this episode and we're going to talk about bunkers and putting greens. And one thing to remember when we talk about these areas that, you know, the rules going to apply if your ball is in that area. And so let's just review what qualifies it to say, okay, my ball is in a bunker. Cause sometimes it looks like, and you've seen a lot of questions on your golf rules questions, uh, podcast and, and Instagram where it looks like that ball is in a bunker, but technically it's not. So how do you, how do you know it's in a bunker? Yeah. So really good point you, to apply the certain rules in the rules of golf that are specifically designed for where your ball actually is at rest and to be in a bunker, it needs to be touching the bunker and the bunker is the hollowed out area with the sand or like material uh, in that hollowed out area and your ball has to be touching that sand, okay? So if it's in a tree that's overhanging a bunker, it's not in the bunker. If your ball is in the general area right beside a bunker, uh, there's no restriction on you touching 
directly behind or directly in front of the ball. Uh, but as soon as that ball is considered to be in the bunker, there are restrictions on touching sand behind or right in front of the ball. So it's really important that you know, you know, Marcella said on a previous episode that you need to know exactly what format of golf you're playing, whether it's match play or stroke play, but you also need to know exactly where your ball is. So these are questions that you need to answer before you ask someone else which rule applies. You need to answer, where is my ball and what format of golf I am playing? And so what if your ball is sitting on a leaf that is sitting in the bunker? So if it's on top of a rake or if it's on top of a piece of paper, uh, but the piece of paper is actually sitting in the sand in the bunker, then your ball is considered in the bunker, even if it isn't touching the sand in that case. And then let's talk about loose impediments and movable obstructions, the, kind of the difference between those. A loose impediment is a natural object, right? Yeah, a loose impediment like a stick, a pine cone, a piece of grass, all that are unattached. They're not attached to something that's growing. So a piece of grass, you know, if it's attached to the ground, uh, then you're not allowed to pull that out. It's not considered loose. A pine cone that's attached to a tree, it's not considered loose. But as soon as it's fallen off the tree or as soon as that grass has been cut, it's now considered loose. It's still a natural object and thus a loose impediment. And you can move loose impediments anywhere on the course. Anywhere on the course, you can move loose impediments. Just be careful when it's around your ball because if you cause your ball to move, like we talked about in a previous episode about causing a ball to move, uh, you're going to incur a one-stroke penalty and you're going to have to replace that ball. Now, that penalty does not apply on the putting green or the teeing area, but general area, bunker, penalty area, you've got to be careful when you're moving loose impediments. Yes, and so and that's different from a movable obstruction, which is a man-made, something like a rake or a Coke can or something like that. Those things are movable obstructions. And if your ball is resting against those anywhere on the course, you are allowed to remove those items. And it's okay if it causes your ball to move, if doing so causes your ball to move. It's a good idea. It's a should to put a marker down next to your ball before you go ahead and move that rake away or whatever that object is, that movable obstruction. It's a good idea to do that because then you're going to have to replace it on the original spot and you know exactly what that original spot because you've put a T in the ground or a marker down. But so that's the main differences between a loose impediment and a movable obstruction. Exactly right. A movable obstruction. Uh, you're not going to be penalized if you cause your ball to move in moving a movable obstruction, which, as you said, Marcella, is an artificial object, man-made, uh, just like a piece of paper or uh, a water bottle. Yes, or tequila bottle, whatever it is, right? Um, 
depending on who you are. And do take a peek in the USGA book or app at the definitions and look those up because you'll be surprised at the things you'll that will be included there under loose impediments versus movable obstructions. Do take a peek at those uh, definitions because it's kind of interesting to to see some things are came from a natural um, product, but now they're not because they were made into something. So we, we get into that, like a wood tea. Well, wood is natural, but it's a tea. <laughs> so it's man-made. Yeah, spot on. Now getting back to bunkers, uh, I find the best way to play out of a fairway bunker is to try and hit the ball first and not the sand. Whereas in a green side bunker, I would splash the sand, so smash the sand and the ball pops up rather than trying to actually hit the ball. But we're not here to give you golf instruction. We're here to give rules of golf uh, information. And when your ball is in a bunker, there are certain areas that you're not allowed to touch. So you're not allowed to test the sand uh, with a club or your hand or the rake. You're not allowed to test the sand. Uh, to see the consistency, the depth, etc. It doesn't say anything about your feet. So you can go in and firmly place your feet. And if that there is a bit of testing in doing so, that is okay. Uh, but you're not allowed to ground or touch the sand right behind the ball or immediately in front of the ball. Uh, you're not allowed to touch the sand in a backswing. So we talked about a stroke. And the stroke is the downswing or the backswing in a bunker. You're not allowed to touch the sand, but the downswing, you are allowed to touch the sand. So in the stroke, you can touch the sand, but not in the backswing. And you're not allowed to touch the sand in taking a practice swing in that same bunker that your ball is currently lying in. Yes. And uh, we are showing B-roll of bunker shots and some of these conditions on our YouTube channel, as well as Blakey showing you the proper way to rake a bunker. And you'll be surprised at this because this is, he's like a greenskeeper in the way he's doing it, but more people should pay attention to that because there's really almost nothing more frustrating. I know you said it's really frustrating when someone takes your ball in play, if you're hit it the wrong fairway, but I think even more frustrating is you walk up to a bunker that there are just footprints everywhere and people did not take the time to properly rake it. It's just not fair. The worst thing about that is uh, when they take a, a divot and they rake the divot and they rake their stance, but then they don't rake their footprints as they're walking in and out of the bunker. That That's the absolute worst. You know, if you're going to go in the bunker, you've got to leave the bunker how you found it, as if the golf staff have just been there and manicured it uh, perfectly. And then also, if there are other footprints there from other people that have been inconsiderate and in not raking, rake them as well. You know, take the time to rake those footprints, rake your own footprints, especially when you're getting in and out. Maybe it's a small slope that you've walked in on. Uh, you know, rake those as well. That's most likely where the, uh, someone else's ball is going to come to rest and be a horrible lie and a horrible shot. Now, I know we said that uh, sometimes you've got to accept the challenge, and that is true, but we try and be, at the same time, we try and be considerate of other people and their play and it doesn't take much for us to just go and rake a bunker. 
Exactly. And um, sometimes you're going to find your ball in that bunker in a lie that you don't like. It could be because there was, you know, this footprint or uh, multiple footprints or whatever. Um, or it could be because it's like a little fried egg situation. And we talked about it earlier, but this 18.1 in my um, girlfriend's golf experiences that I teach on on golf courses, this is the, like the aha moment for everybody is this 18.1, which can be used anywhere. Yes. There's a specific rule for and stroke and distance in a bunker, but this 18.1 is like a blanket, get out of jail free card. It costs you a one stroke penalty and you can do it anywhere, including in a bunker. If your ball is sitting there in somebody's footprint and it's on a down slope and you know, all these awkward things about how the heck am I going to actually swing at this and get it out could be a Friday, could be a lot of odd situations in those scenarios. If you want to just go stroke and distance, just go back to the location of your last shot and take a drop. It costs you one. And, uh, I think that's the big aha moment and uh, believe it or not, this is a funny story. Sometimes they learn this in my cl clinic and they get a handout showing like the rule number and how that all works and why it's okay. And then they go and they get an argument with somebody about it because someone says, oh, there's no way that Marcella, she taught you that, but that's not right. She's wrong <laughs> because they've been playing for 37 years and they've never known that or didn't realize it. Um, and a lot of men just don't want to do it because they don't want to learn, you know, lose the distance. It's called stroke and distance. They don't want to lose the distance. Well, if a guy's hitting at 220 yards, I get why you don't want to lose the distance when you see the fried egg in the bunker, but we're not necessarily hitting it as far, or you could be male or female and you had a little 60 yard shot that plugs. There's not a lot of distance. It takes a second. Stop whining, go back, take stroke and distance, 18.1 cost you one and hit it again. Yeah, well, I actually created a video uh, on YouTube the other day about putting your ball into a bunker uh, and taking stroke and distance out of the bunker and placing your ball back on the putting green. So stroke and distance, and yeah, that, that's another episode all by itself, but it's one stroke, that's where the stroke comes from, one stroke penalty, and distance, it means go back to where you previously played from, but that doesn't mean necessarily that that's back towards the tee, if you've hit your ball backwards or further away from the hole, then you just go back to your previously uh, played spot, which could be on the green if you've ever putted into a bunker. I know I have. Yes. And that is, you know, normally you are going to take that drop at knee height and we'll talk about relief areas, taking a drop and all those things in another episode, but normally you're going to do that. But if you're going to go stroke and distance from where your last stroke was, or your previous stroke was just in on a putting green, then you actually place it on the original spot instead of dropping it. But yeah, it's, it's an important rule and everybody should, should know about it. So back to bunkers, uh, we talk about resting on a club. Yeah, so there are a couple of myths um, around whether you can touch a bunker or not at all. This rule has changed over the last four or five years. You can actually rest on your club while you're waiting for someone else to play. So as I said, there are certain areas that your club is not allowed to touch, uh, but anywhere else outside of that, those areas in the still in the bunker, you are allowed to touch with the sand. Just remember not uh, when you're making a practice swing. Uh, you can even, if you brought a couple of clubs into the bunker, you can even set them down in the bunker and you're not going to be penalized for that. So uh, 
just make sure, as we said, that you rake all the damage that you've that you've caused. And if you're if the rake is a mile away from where your ball is, and it's going to take you time to walk to your ball in the bunker with the rake, you can rake those footsteps. It's called caring for the course. As long as you're not testing the uh, the bunker, and you can rake that all the way up until when you get to the ball and then you play your shot and you might walk out another side of the bunker, rake those footprints and leave the bunker rake uh, in a different part of the course uh, that was nearest to where you um, last played from. Yeah, and we're weaving in um, what used to be called etiquette. It's now called more uh, behavior, right? Is there another term in the book for... Yeah, conduct, how you conduct yourself and your behavior on the course. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And so that's so important because it really, what you do or fail to do affects everybody else who's playing the rest of the day, um, including pace of play. And we're going to give you some good pace of play, real concrete steps on how to have great pace and what it means to be playing on time and keeping up. But even, you know, pace of play and other things as simple as when you're leaving the bunker, you should do a little tap tap on your shoes so that the sand that's gathered in your spikes and in your shoes, you're not going to track it all over the putting green um, because that's just really inconsiderate. And you're not actually allowed to clear off or wipe away sand or loose soil in the general area, in the fringe, in lots of other areas. You're allowed to on the putting green and you're allowed to in the teeing area, but you can't anywhere else. So if people are tracking that everywhere because they're being inconsiderate, that's not very fair. It's gonna it's gonna affect you. There's an exception of when you can and that's restoring the original conditions. There's so many exceptions in golf, right? Yeah, we should get into an episode just on exceptions. Oh, oh that'll be like a four hour <laughs> It could be. I think there's so, I think there's something like 70 exceptions or something. So I think that wraps up bunker and let's dive into putting green if we can. Um, you know, speaking of the sand and loose soil, let's just talk about that for a second, because that's a good story. Um, I was playing golf, you know, I started learning the rules a number of years ago, maybe 10 years ago. And I was playing at a club I belonged to at the time with my friend, Karen, who Blakey knows, who Blakey's been on a, a little jaunt in uh, Lake Tahoe with us. She's so much fun. And she knows a lot about the rules and she's got to go a little swimming. Um, but she learned some things on television that she thought she knew, or she thought she understood what they were saying. And we come up to the 18th hole after a, a round, we always play for at least five or 10 bucks. And, um, there was some sand on the putting green on my line of play. And I just start wiping it off. And she said, oh, Marcella, you know, you can't do that. And I said, well, what do you mean? Yeah, you can. And she said, no, no, I saw it on TV. I saw it on TV. They said, you can't do that. You have to use the back of your hand. You can only use the back of your hand to do that. I go, well, I'm not sure what you heard or what you think you heard, but you can't. Oh, no, no. I'm sure of it, Marcella. Really, really. I said, okay. Did you want to bet? She said, yeah, I'll bet you. I said, $100. And she said, yeah, I'll bet you $100. I said, okay. So we go into the pro shop because we were on 18 when this happened. 
We go into the pro shop. So they're like trying to look it up. Blah, blah, blah. And a lot of things in golf, if it doesn't say you can't, then you can. So um, it was one of those where it didn't say, oh, you can use the front of your hand. You know, it doesn't say that, but it definitely can. And I reconfirmed it texting one of my rules official friends. So yeah, I won a hundred dollars. Nice. Uh, yeah. You can use your hat. You can use a towel. You can even use a blower. That's one of the things that you can do on the putting green, remove that sand or loose soil. And now you can repair damage. Yes. Repair damage. Um, damage made. It's really important. The, the damage made by, you know, another player such as spike marks uh, or pitch marks, you know, the, the ball was hit the green and made a little bit of an indentation. You can repair those and you're, you can repair them even if your ball isn't on the putting green. If it's on the putting green, the indentation or the spike mark, you can repair it even if your ball is not on. But the damage has to be on the putting green. There's no rule about fixing damage that's off the putting green. Now, we saw an interesting one uh, recently where a player went out and shot 62 uh, in a Monday qualifier, uh, but actually they had breached the rules by fixing aeration holes, which are holes made by the maintenance crew. And that's not considered damage that you're allowed to repair. That's maintenance damage. And you just have to play with it as it lies. And possibly there's a local rule that allows you free relief and uh, from that, but you're not actually allowed to go along and tap it down. It was tragic. And he called himself on it, which is what he should do. And the golf gods will repay him for that in the long run. So what else do we need to know about the putting green? And you can actually even re uh, repair the hole if it's been damaged. A lot of people picking ball out of the hole. Um, it can get a bit of wear and tear over the day. And if you see specific wear and tear that's just happened, uh, you can repair the hole back to what it normally is. Uh, when is your ball considered to be on the putting green? Similar to a, putting, uh, to a bunker, it has to be touching the putting green or on top of something that is on top of the putting green, which breaks that border of where the putting green starts. So such as a leaf or a, a jumper, um, you know, a jersey, whatever you guys call it over there. We don't have jumpers. Uh, a sweatshirt or a pair of pants if someone's taking their pants off. Uh, <laughs> so does that happen in Australia? Well, only if you get a hole in one. <laughs> little, yeah. little golf joke there for you. You can use that <laughs> in the next round. So those are all important things to know about the putting green. And then there's this hierarchy that's important to share. Um, I call it PB and J, PB and G. So to know what rules going to apply you're going to know where your ball is at rest that we talked about earlier. And if your ball is at rest in two areas, like any part of it is in one area, but then part of it's on the other, then you go, okay, which one's going to apply? Well, there's a hierarchy and it's PBG and it's penalty area bunker putting green. The G is for the green. So penalty area bunker and green. So that's the hierarchy. If it's sitting in two areas, that's how it's going to go down. And that's how you'll know which rule is going to apply. Yeah. And you spell green in Spanish with a J. So that's why Marcella says gene, putting penalty area bunker and gene. 
No, you spell it with the V, Verde. Oh, oh really? Uh, that's the color green, isn't it, Verde? Uh, so. Oh, I don't know what you say green in Spanish, the actual putting green. Well, it would be the same. It would be the same. If it's the same in English, then it has to be the same in Spanish. Maybe somebody could comment and give us the answer to that. No, so there's I'm more not rules. putting that in this episode. <laughs> uh, flagstick is probably the last thing that we'd want to talk about on the putting green. There is this indicator stuck in the hole that, you know, because you're not going to be able to see where the hole is 200 meters out or 400 meters out. So there's a flagstick on the hole, uh, on the putting green in the hole that tells you where the hole is on the, the putting green. And there's rules around the flagstick. When you're putting on the green, you can leave it in any time. You can have it out uh, when you're playing any shot. You can have the flagstick taken out and you can also have it attended. Uh, an interesting English word used for having someone hold or be close to the flagstick and they can take that flagstick out and they must take it out if it's being attended. They don't. There's no option there of, oh, well, I'll leave it in or I'll take it out. It's If you are having the flagstick attended, it must be taken out um, so as not to influence where the ball is going to come to rest. Uh, what you do around it, there's some behavioral things with flagstick you might want to mention, Marcella. I like to, on the first uh, green, really kind of get to know the people I'm playing with and ask them, oh, hey, how do you like the flagstick? Because now that we have that choice to leave it in, um, I like to say, hey, how do you like it? Do you want it left in or not, on, even on the short ones? And if everyone says, yeah, we like them left in, great. It makes it a lot easier. And some people will go, no, anything shorter than 15 feet, I like it out. So just kind of remember that. And then when you're playing that next, the you know, all the subsequent putting greens, kind of know what to do. And then that first person who holds out should probably make their way to that flagstick that's on the ground and pick it back up slowly, not making a big commotion, not stepping on anyone's line, but kind of get ready to be the person who replaces it. Because once all four of you have putted out, someone needs to grab that flagstick and it shouldn't be the person who just finished, right? For pace of play, you want to be someone who's putted first or second out, kind of grab it and, um, and uh, replace it. Make sure you're replacing it right in its spot. Don't half-ass it because that becomes a problem for damage. And then also if it's a windy day, it could blow out. Have you seen, did you see the Barbasol over at Keen Trace Champions Course, the Barbasol tournament? I think it's hole number 14. It has the world's tallest flagstick. I haven't seen that, but I do know a couple of courses uh, down under uh, that have a really long flagstick uh, for situations where it's very hard to see the flagstick because the green is down in a bowl uh, until you are basically walking onto the green. So they have a tall flagstick so you can see it from 100 meters out, that type of thing. Yeah, I thought it was illegal. I thought there might be a limit on how tall because I played it when I taught a clinic over there for the ladies at King Trace a couple of years ago. And uh, I, I really thought like, oh, this can't be legal, but it's legal. Yeah, I mean, the, there is no limit on how high or how short uh, a flagstick can be. Right. All right. We're going to leave it at that today. We're going to answer the golf rules question though. Hopefully you know the answer and you have learned it in this episode. Can you set clubs down in the bunker that your ball was lying in? And the answer, yes, you can set clubs down in the bunker that your ball was lying in. It is allowed.
So if you have more questions on the rules of golf, feel free to post them in the comments here on the podcast on our website, golfrulesschool.com and post a review if you're liking what you're hearing. We'll see you guys next time. Well done.